The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. What's up, soccer fans? No, it's not Steven Jodoran. It's Jake Watroba, producer of the show alongside of me, or rather in Dallas, is Armand Kafai. Armand, what is going on? Pleasure to be doing the show with you. Yeah, it's a little change up. Um, we fired Steven. Uh, he was uh, asking for too much of the cut, so we got rid of him and got Jake instead. Uh, really excited for the show. The show is awesome. Great. I really love what we talked about actually today. But Jake, I want to talk to you about your little package that you got a couple days ago. Oh, that's that's right. Uh, my package from awaydaysfootball.com. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen the video, listeners, you should go watch it on Twitter. It's actually pretty funny. His... Uh, <laughs> Your reaction to getting a club that <laughs> you have no idea I had, even I existed had, like I ten had minutes z- before. Zero clue who it was. And the funny, like, the funny. First of all, let's 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 say go to awaydaysfootball.com. Uh, they just got a new shipment in of I believe he uh, I believe they said Russian jerseys, Scottish jerseys, and Peruvian Scotland jerseys. Scotland to Peru. Plus, yeah, Scotland to Peru. Plus more. Yeah. So go to awaydaysfootball.com. Get a mystery kit for twenty five bucks. Get an obscure Russian. Premier League jersey or you know whatever. Um, enter the promo code Uncle Sam at checkout to receive fifteen percent off your order. Again, awaydaysfootball.com. Get a mystery kit or a mystery pack. Maybe you want a mystery pack. Maybe you want the a, a jacket thrown in. Uh, you know there there are other things uh, that Awaydays Football sells too. Mystery pack. I thought about getting a mystery pack too. Uh, they Awaydays also you know sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats. They got they got that all too. So. Give away days football. Uh, give them a look. Go buy something. They're a great company. Um, you know, it's good to support you know small business like uh, away days football. Um, use the promo code Uncle Sam, fifteen percent off your purchase. But back to the video. <laughs> My unveiling of uh, of the, the jersey I received from away days football. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had zero clue. Who the club was, and the, and the thing is, I'm I'm, re- I'm trying to read the badge upside down while I'm holding it up to my my chest. Um, I still don't know how to pronounce Navestead. Is that is that? Is, I think that's how you pronounce N- it. Navestead, something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I I opened it, had no clue who it was. The only thing I knew because I saw on a Wayday's um, Twitter account 
the there was a picture somebody had received a picture of somebody who had received that same kit and i was like i think this is a at the time i said dutch club but it ended up being a danish club doing a little bit more research after the video um yeah so that is the kind of fun you get when you buy a mystery kit from a days <laughs> yeah the listeners you gotta watch that video his, his reaction is priceless and he's just like uh the element of surprise what is this it's like it's like opening I, up a Christ, it's like opening up a gift on Christmas. You have no clue what it is, and you know what? No. Nope. Unlike the presents that your aunt and uncle give you that you might see once a year, you'll actually enjoy this one. <laughs> no, and actually, listeners, you'll enjoy episode two. We brought y'all Matt Doyle and uh, Sam Stasekel from MLSsoccer.com. Uh, we brought both them on to talk. Some CONCACAF Champions League, but predominantly the theme for this week's episode is all about the youth. All about the academies. We saw what the Red Bulls did against Portland, and it kind of got us thinking, what's the craze going on with the academies? What's the league going towards? And I think we had two great interviews, Jake. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed um, I really enjoyed the, these two interviews with, dare I say, uh, MLSsoccer.com's uh, uh, two-headed monster that is Matt Doyle and Sam Stasekel. I think our listeners will it will enjoy it too. Like, very interesting discussion, most notably on the the academies uh, the, uh, within MLS. A lot, lot of good information there. Joining us uh, today on Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast is senior writer for MLSsoccer.com, Matthew Doyle. Matt, how are you doing? I am hanging in there, guys. How about you? We're, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. Uh, we know you're on a bit of a time crunch here, so we'll, we'll, we'll jump right in. Uh, what, what, what do you make of MLS's recent success in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League? I, I feel like it was a long time coming, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we've seen at the start of the decade, there was some su- success with RSL getting to the final. And then I think in 2013, it was both LA and uh, Seattle got some semifinals. And it was mm-hmm. sort of an efficient starts um, from there. It, it, it didn't really progress until what we've seen in the last two seasons. I mean, last year we had two teams make the semifinals and um, Dallas put a hell of a scare into, uh, into Pachuca who are the eventual champions. And now, you know, we, we have, uh, I mean, it's really, it, it's two firsts, you know, like uh, New York were the first team to win in Mexico by multiple goals. Uh, they were the first team to win, both legs of a tournament or both legs of a, you know, a series against uh, a league at max opponent. And, you know, five, one is like, there's no, there's no debating that one. They, the Red Bulls absolutely drubbed a pretty good deal right, on it. Right. So that's one. And then the other one is like uh, Toronto FC, like Tigris with the champs, man, this is Tigris team. It is is legendary. They've won the last three aperturas, the last two, you know, Campeon de Campeones. They've, you know, made the finals of the last two CCLs. Like, this is as good as, as Liga MX gets. And, 
not only did Toronto FC get the win, but they they closed it out barely, but they closed it out in Mexico, and no MLS team has ever done that before. So it's you know it's one year. It's not a there, there's a sample size worry, like maybe next year they, it regresses or disappears entirely over the next two years. But like, um, Jesus, man, like it, they, they kind of checked a lot of boxes over the last couple of weeks. And I, I think that um, it's easy to be cynical about soccer in the U.S., but I, I'm finding it tough to be cynical about this. In terms of the champ, the Champions League, Matt. I mean, we all hear this discussion about closing the gap on Liga MX, and the addition of of TAM and other mechanisms were implemented to hopefully make make the league better. Do you think MLS is closing the gap on Liga MX in terms of talent and quality of play? Yeah, for sure, and, and TAM is a big part of that. Um, now, did it need to be TAM? No, like uh, it could have been just cap space and it could have been, um, you know, retaining talent that was already here or just like finding guys from Latin America for predominantly Latin America. Right. Um, and and putting them under the salary cap. But a big part of it is, I mean, a big part of it is, is using, um, the academy system and, and making sure that the guys that we have that are natively talented, um, that, you know, they're getting the best training possible and they're, you know, getting put into the first team. And we see that with guys like Jonathan Osorio and Tyler Adams and Sean Davis and, you know, so kind of like on down the list. And look, we, we all want MLS to be the best league it could possibly be. Um, it's not going to get there if we shortchange our, our domestic players. If we... Uh, if we don't do as good a job training our, our natively talented kids as Germany or Spain or Argentina or Brazil, then we're not going to get to be at the level of Germany or Spain or Argentina or Brazil. So seeing those guys make this sort of leap, um, I mean, Tyler Adams is probably man of the match on, on Tuesday night. Like that's huge. That's that's bigger. Like having that happen is bigger than going out and getting the next Thierry Henry or even David Um and, and so we need more of it, and, and we need more teams. Like there are 23 markets; there'll soon be 28. We need every team to sort of see that and like have that light bulb go off, Eureka moment, um, and, and try to create their own Tyler Adams, their own, you know, Jordan Morris, and their own uh, Jonathan Osorios. And Matthew, one one last Champions League uh, question here before we uh, shift gears into the academies. Um, you, you mentioned today on an article that was posted on MLSsoccer.com that the Red Bull only or, or Red Bull only comes in cans. Why do you think Toronto is better suited <laughs> to win the uh, Concacaf Champions League, given they're matched up against Club America in the semifinals versus uh, the Red Bull? I mean, if you look at it, like to win the championship, it stands to reason that both teams, either team is going to have to play Club America. Um, mm-hmm. Club America are, are are the clear favorites at this point. You know, they're I think they're second in the league at MX, and they've uh, they won last year. They won the last two years, I think, two of the last three years. They've won the the Champions League, and you know they they have the 
in terms of valuation, they probably have the, the richest team in North America. Um, as for why I said Red Bull only comes in 10, <laughs> because I'm a cynic and a little bit of a troll. And like, why would I not say that? Like, that is funny. Um, like anyone who knows the history of this franchise knows that they uh, find a way to, you know, to fall on their faces uh, <laughs> when the cup is on the line. Like they've won, they've won a couple of uh, won a couple of supporter shields, which I think is actually the best title to win in MLS. And um, you know they play great soccer. And over the last ten years, I think they have uh, top three or four record in the league. But you know when it comes to playoffs and cup, they find a way to to screw it up pretty bad. So obviously, I think that Toronto has. Um, the best chance of it. You know, like if Toronto, if Toronto gets past America, um, which is totally possible considering they just beat a better team than, than club America, the Liga MX current standings, notwithstanding, um, then they're going to be favored against whoever they play, whether it's a Red Bulls or whether it's Chivas. I'm not sure that's true of the Red Bulls against, um, in fact, I know it's not true against the, for the Red Bulls against either America or Toronto FC. Absolutely, Matt. And earlier you did reference the academies. And in week two, we saw Jesse Marsh put up basically an academy-esque lineup of a bunch of Red Bull 2 players, basically players that have been in the USL and academy system against the Timbers, and they smacked them 4-0. And we've seen the Red Bulls produce many uh, talents in the academy. And as someone who's who's covering FC Dallas, who's watched FC Dallas, I, I, I had this question pop up in my mind. And do you think that the Red Bull Academy is on par, if not potentially better than the FC Dallas Academy that we always hear and talk about? Yeah, it is. It's better. I think RSL is better. I think Toronto's better. I think pretty much at this point we're getting to the we're getting to the stage where any team that has a USL team in between the Academy and MLS is better than FC Dallas. Um because it's you, you can't you can't jump from the academy. Like, unless you have a, a super gifted, like, just phenom of a player, you cannot jump from the academy level to MLS. You need that intermediate step. And this is, I've, right. I've written this since 2014. Um, teams that, that don't invest in that are going to be left behind. And Dallas has already been left behind. I will say this straight out. If Dallas had their own USL team, they would not have missed the playoffs last year. They would have had mm-hmm. guys like Reggie, like right back was a problem last year for Dallas. They never got Reggie Cannon on the field. If they mm-hmm. had had him playing at the USL, USL level for half the season, they would have gotten him on the field for the second half of the season. Same thing, you know, with, with central midfield. Once Kellen Acosta stopped performing, they would have been able to either have Brandon Cervania or, or maybe you know, uh, Ja'Cory Hayes starts getting professional minutes right out the gate once he's drafted. Um, Dallas has been left behind. Their signings are reactive, not proactive. They Only three of their, I think, 22, 21, 22 um, homegrown signings have made any kind of actual debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and every time they trumpet one of those signings, it's kind of like, I mean, they're massaging the facts, man. Like, they, they're not actually giving these kids the best chance to, 
to make it at the top level and they're not giving themselves the best chance to win. Um, I would take Red Bull set up a hundred times out of a hundred over FC Dallas. I would take RSLs. I would take Toronto SCs. I would maybe even take freaking Kansas cities, uh, Philadelphia, like go on down the list. Um, it's, it's beyond time for Dallas uh, to stop being penny wise, pound foolish. And Matt, in, in in your opinion, does the addition of extra time this offseason actually make it harder uh, for some of these young domestic academy players to uh, get into a senior side in MLS? I, I think I saw a couple weeks ago uh, some statistic about 50-some-odd players out of the 60 international players signed last year were uh, through TAM. Do you, do you think that's a that's one of the big issues in MLS uh, It's kind of affecting the domestic player. So for sure, for sure it is. And, and look, we, I, I think it's something that the, the next CBA is going to have to address and the, uh, you know, the players union is going to have to address that as well. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not an expert on any of the above, but um, from the outside looking in, I, I, I would hope that, um, you know, more domestic players end up getting access to TAM uh, or, or that they just change the structure entirely and, and like, TAM just gets sort of, like, married into the the salary cap. Um, because right now, <laughs> I mean, just look at the best, the, the rather the highest paid defenders in the league. It's guys like Michael Fiani and Claude Dielna. You know, like, those guys are, they're, they're, you know, they're not very good. They're not. And and whereas like Tim Parker is getting traded because he wants, you know, five hundred fifty thousand dollars a year instead of four hundred fifty. Like like Tim Parker should have access to that. So you know, it's something that the the unions gonna have to address, and I hope they do um, because I, I genuinely and generally think that um, domestic talent is underrated. And um, I mean, apropos of everything. Toronto FC gave more minutes to domestic talent than any team in the league last year. Um, and then the Red Bulls were top three. Like that's when we see where they are now, you know, like this is not, it's not rocket science. If you have good coaches and you believe in your investment and you have a, like a good top to bottom system, um, then you can win with, with guys who were born and raised here. Um, and the best teams in the league are doing that. No, absolutely, Matt. One of those players that I feel like that are kind of struggling to get minutes is a player that you talk about a lot on uh, Twitter is Andrew Carlton and his situation mm-hmm. in Atlanta. We see now that he's kind he's making the A team, but he, I mean he's not getting that much burn even in blowout situations. And we're seeing uh, Ezekiel Barco is going to come back at some point, and there's going to be limited spots available. I know it's kind of a, a little early in the season, maybe even more of a knee-jerk reaction, but do you think Carlton can reach his potential with Atlanta United given the current setup and what you've seen so far from the team? I, I, I think he can, but it, it's... <laughs> I, I would I would <laughs> be more confident of that if he played for, like, a, a Jesse Marsh or a Bob Bradley or a Greg Berhalter or a Greg Benny. Um, you know, Tata Martino, I think is a really good coach, 
but he's never had the reputation of a guy who, who likes to take sort of like raw material and coach it up. He's a guy who likes to, to get players who are the finished product or, or close to the finished product and just plug them into the lineup. Um, and Carlton's not that. I mean, he's super talented, uh, but he's not a finished product. So I do think he's so talented that he'll push in and, and get playing time. And I do, honestly, I think there's some pressure on, uh, on Tata Martino, which is, which is new, which is something that has not existed in MLS before. Like this fan base pressure, there's probably you know, front office pressure, there's mm-hmm. uh, local media pressure. And that's a sign of the league's maturity that like there's this young phenom and we want to see him play. And, and the coach is being sort of held accountable for that. Um, so I, I think the kid will get there. I'm not, I'm not wildly concerned about it, but I, I do think that the fact that we're having this conversation at all is indicative of sort of a, a, a cultural malaise when it comes to um, young players and uh, a lack of belief in either the young players or the system that trains them. And I, I think that speaks to a larger need to create um, a better pipeline, but also like more good coaches. We, we just need more good coaches at every level in the United States. So if either you guys um, have the time and the, the inclination, please get your, you know, your A licenses and, and start coaching, you know, UA, U12, U15, because we need more of it. I mean, I, I don't know if Jake's down, but I've, I've been thinking about getting a, couple of coaching licenses in the future i mean get it to, <laughs> like honestly you, you you can start the process online and it's not the easiest thing in the world and it's not that <laughs> you know it, u.s soccer is u.s soccer so of course they're not going to make it as accessible as it should be but like you know the future of u.s soccer is, is in your hands guys you, you're putting a lot of pressure on me right here matt <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one final question for you, Matt. Outside of the names that we all already hear about, who's a homegrown that we should watch out for this season? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I, I really like Nick Lima in San Jose. Um, I think he's got a lot of potential as a fullback, and he, he's very two-footed, so he could play either left back or right back. Um, and, and I love that about him. For the, for the you know the very obvious reasons, uh, I don't know if people are as turned on to Austin Trusty as they should be. He's a, uh, a big, pretty agile, left-footed center back, and he started. He's 19 years old. He started the first game for for Philly as they they mm-hmm. picked a shutout against uh, New England. You know, he was on the the past couple of U20 teams with guys like Justin Glad and. Cameron Carter Vickers and Eric Palmer Brown um, needs to clean up his distribution a little bit, needs to make his reads a little bit faster, but uh, I'm a big fan, big fan of his. Um, And then the other one, like, I don't know if Americans are as aware of Alfonso Davies as they should be, Um, but he's he's 17 years old. He's starting for Vancouver. He's going to be sold for eight figures. He's going to be sold for, like he might be the record transfer for for MLS when he's sold, um, which will happen next winter. 
Uh, he, you know, he's being watched right now by Manchester United and uh, a couple of other top tier teams. And uh, I expect that uh, they are going to bid for him as soon as he turns 18 because he's spectacular. All righty, Matt. Well, we, we appreciate the time uh, tonight here. Uh, before you go, uh, do, anything you want to plug, go ahead. The floor is yours. Uh, no, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm Matt Doyle 76. Um, and you know, sorry, I was a little drunk when I came on tonight. <laughs> I think, I think it made for good radio. So <laughs> that's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> All righty. Well, we appreciate the time, Matt. Thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Take care guys. Joining us right now is MLSsoccer.com's Sam Stasekul. Did, did I get the last name right? Did, you did. did you name? nailed it. You uh, nailed awesome, it. awesome. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm doing well, guys. How about yourselves? We're doing pretty good. Doing pretty good on this Thursday night. And Sam, I just want to talk to you about the Academy system and whatnot, but I was reading your uh, article that was posted uh today about the uh, Red Bulls leading a charge to MLS and uh, USL partnerships. And it's something that I know I've been thinking about uh, when you see a team like the Red Bulls being able to put out a almost Red Bull two side with players from the USL team and their academy and have them just dump Portland 4-0. And how beneficial do you think a USL side is uh, for uh, an MLS side success? Well, I think it's uh, it can be really beneficial if it's done right, um, and that's kind of a big if. Uh, the Red Bulls are far from the only MLS team to have a USL team, um, mm-hmm. but not all of them have had a lot of success. Um, the Red Bulls have had the most. I think teams like Philadelphia are starting to kind of push guys through their USL team. Um, Real Salt Lake has pushed a few guys through. So you have teams with varying degrees of success. Seattle's done it as well. Um, but then you have other teams that have kind of struggled. And there's, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, but in terms of the importance, I think it's really important. You know, you can kind of establish your club's identity um, down the line. Um, you can kind of take advantage of, um, you know, getting a bridge built for kids that are too good for the academy but not quite good enough for MLS yet, um, continuing their development so that when the time comes, um, that, that they are ready for MLS, they're able to jump in pretty seamlessly and make a contribution right away. And I think we've seen that with New York this season, both in uh, MLS play and, and in the Champions League. Um, you know, there's, there's a certain confidence that's born out of, mm-hmm. um, you know, playing in USL and, and playing with the same sort of tactical system as the first team and understanding what, what you need to do and when you need to do it. And then, you know, just kind of doing it at a slightly higher level in MLS as opposed to USL, you know, with it. I think that's really, really helped them. I think it's helped them integrate guys quickly. Um, I think it's helped them take full advantage of their good Academy. Um, and I think it's a really important thing. You know, you have teams like uh, Dallas and, and the LA galaxy who operate in really fertile youth talent regions. Um, Dallas in particular has a really strong Academy, but mm-hmm. they haven't really been able to create that bridge to the first team and the Red Bulls have. So I think that's an area where you can differentiate yourself in MLS um, and you know, there's a lot of ways to be good in this league. Um, one of them is to spend a lot of money. Um, another one is to kind of do it like this, where you have a strong identity and you're able to push youth players through the pipeline. Um, so I think, uh, I think it's important for any team, um, that, that wants to be as good as they can be. 
you mentioned Philadelphia, and it's something I know, especially with the homegrown players that they've been playing. Um, do you think that their academy is kind of, especially the relationship they have with the Bethlehem Steel, do you think their academy is on the rise uh, in terms um, of... You know, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. Uh, I, I, I was just going to say, I don't, I'm not totally sure just about their academy and how it relates. I know mm-hmm. they've had um, some decent success in the past. I know they've had some average teams in the past. Um, but in terms of, you know, kind of the final product, I think you're starting to see it pay off a little bit. Um, they do have an interesting setup. They have they have pretty strong infrastructure in Philadelphia. They have mm-hmm. kind of a residential thing going on. If, they, if, if kids want to, they have their own high school. Um, so, you know, the kids can go to school, they can train, and it's kind of catered around that. Um, so it's an interesting setup that they have, and I think it's uh, it's kind of conducive to producing good players. Obviously, there's a lot of people in that area, um, which kind of lends itself to a lot of good players potentially coming from there. Um, and I think you're starting to see a payoff. You know, we saw Anthony Fontana in their first game, and their only game so far, uh, score a goal. Um, he's not going to start if everyone's healthy once uh, once their new number ten Boric. Doge call, I believe is how you pronounce it, um, gets involved and gets gets going. But they do have a guy along the back line in Austin Trusty, um, who, you know, is a homegrown player. He played, I think, twenty five games in USL last year, who probably is going to start a lot of games as a center back this season. Um so I think they're starting to see it pay off. It's not quite on the scale of the Red Bulls yet, who have, you know, a bunch of starters that came through that system and a bunch of reserves that are currently coming through that system. Um, but that's one, you know, maybe in a few years, we could potentially see like an all homegrown backline for the union with, uh, with Austin trusty and, um, a couple of their off season signings, Matt Real and Mark McKenzie. And I guess Keegan Rosenberry isn't technically homegrown, but he did spend time in their Academy. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I think that's one, maybe it's a couple of years behind the Red Bulls, but they seem to be on the right track for sure. And Sam, you, you kind of alluded to this. Uh, in one of your previous answers here, but why does there appear to be uh, such a heavy trend in clubs that don't really utilize their their academies? Um, utilize in terms of you know like get them to the first team. Yeah, I, I think I saw. Is that what? You, yeah. yeah, I saw like a Twitter post earlier this week. I'm not sure who who posted it, but it seemed that there, there were quite a, a few clubs who. Show, showed very little minutes sure. uh, played by sure. some of their academy products. Yeah. yeah, well, there's a variety of reasons for that, obviously. You know, you have some of the newer teams don't really have academy setups up and running all the way yet, right? New York City FC, out of nothing. Um, they have a homegrown player on the roster, but, you know, that's one that they need to give some time. Same with, I think, to, mm-hmm. a, to a lesser degree, Atlanta, um, probably to a greater degree, Minnesota. Um, I think one part of it is just talent. You know, and I think that's something that sometimes gets overlooked in these conversations about playing the kids and things like that. Sometimes the kids aren't good enough, and you know that's that's a that, that's a different question, and it, there's a different problem of why aren't the kids good enough. But I don't think we should really necessarily hold it against first team coaches to not play kids when they don't have the level of talent that they need to have. Um, now, when there are situations when the kids are talented, um, maybe slightly less than a veteran player but, you know, maybe the ceiling's higher, then I think that's that's on an organization to try and move it along. Um, in terms of more broadly speaking, why? I mean, I think it's just, I think it's why, why don't why don't young players get chances in any league, in any sport across the world, right? I mean, it's they're, they're not quite as good as the older guys in most cases. And, um, 
you know, coaches need to get results. Otherwise their butts are on the line. Right. So if you're going to have a team that plays young players, that needs to be an organizational commitment. That just can't be a, a coach trying to say, I want to develop young players. That has to be a club president and a GM and an owner saying, Hey, let's play these young guys and understanding that they're going to take some lumps along the way. Um, and giving the coach that, that sort of leash to be able to have, you know, a few losses here and there because young guys are out there making mistakes um, and not having anyone get fired over that, right? So I think that's kind of the broader trend. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if that, that answers your question at all. I think part of the new money coming in, you know, that raises the quality of the league. That makes it harder for anyone to get minutes. So I mm-hmm. think that has something to do with it well as well. But a variety of reasons, um, and I think those are probably two of the main ones. You mentioned that the kids potentially not being good enough whenever, and that's something that has crossed my mind whenever I hear a, a player kids or something along those lines that, hey, maybe uh, they're, they're not good enough. And you said it's a different discussion uh, in terms of uh, why they're not good enough. So I'm just going to ask you, why do you think they're not, uh, why do you think some of the kids are not good enough uh, in terms um, of, uh... yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a there's a ton of answers to that question, right? And and to be fair, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we don't know if they're not good enough until they get a chance, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's one thing that can be frustrating for for people that are watching and wanting young players to play. If if they're never given a chance, how do we really know? Um, but in terms of why they're not good enough, I mean, that can be you know just down to their individual qualities. That can be a broader discussion about how we develop American uh, players in America and Canada. Um, it can mm-hmm. be a little bit of both of those things. Um, I think for the most part, it's probably down to the individual himself. Um, you know, certain players have higher ceilings than others. Certain players have better skills than others. Certain players have better work ethics than others and are able to grow. Um, and certain players receive better coaching than others. Um, so I think all of that goes into how good a player can be. Um, and I think kind of all of that is, is in why they're not good enough. I, I also think, and I don't think this is happening as much anymore, but I also think in the past you saw teams sign homegrown players sort of for the sake of signing homegrown players, regardless right. of whether or not they were really ready. Um, and in those days, we're talking like five, six years ago now, when bef- this was like before anyone had a USL team, right? And before USL affiliates were really even a thing. So those guys, you know, they didn't really have much of a chance, right? They weren't going to ever play in MLS games. They might get a, an open cup run out here or there. They might go on loan um, to an NASL club or USL club for a couple months. Um, but they were never really going to develop. And it was just kind of to say, hey, we have these academies. Um, look, there's a homegrown kid. Um, but I think it's, as with anything um, with American and Canadian soccer and MLS, um, everything starts to come a little bit better in time. And I think this is kind of one area where it's where it's happening. I think we're seeing better homegrown kids. I think we've seen that to start this season. Um, so I think that's positive. Um, and I think we're going away from kind of that trend of, you know, signing a homegrown to sign a homegrown. And, and Sam, do you, do you think that maybe MLS should implement a youth league or like a U19 league uh, per se, such as, you know, how they do things over in Europe? Um. You know, I mean, obviously you have the U18 league, you know, for the academy kids already, right? Um, mm-hmm. Starting anything like that, you know, it, it costs a lot. It would cost a lot of money, right? Um, I personally think it would kind of be a little bit redundant 
you know, you have the U18s, um, you have USL. Um, and I think if you start like a U20 league or something like that, that kind of um, de-incentivizes teams further from investing in their own USL teams, which is, I think, uh, probably a bad policy. Um, you know, you want to have teams like Dallas, for instance, who have, I think, signed 21 homegrowns and have had three make an impact and probably four coming with Reggie Cannon this year um, and on the MLS level, any significant impact. You want them to have their own USL team. You don't need them to have a U20 team. You want them to have the USL team and you want to have that be a U20 team with a mixture of, of other older guys, right? Um, so I don't think we should, I don't think the league should be in the business of creating kind of policies, at least at this point. Um, to de-incentivize that. Now, if USL if USL gets to a point, or if the league gets to a point where every team has a solid USL team going, and there are fewer and fewer opportunities for talented 19 and 20 year olds, then yeah, maybe we we have that discussion then. But I think at this point, it's probably a premature thing. When you when you talk about you know like um, the implementing the youth leagues is not. I mean, so obviously you're against, you're against that. But would you be for if the league potentially implemented, obviously down the road. Uh, some uh, kind of rule that maybe uh, is like a mandate for clubs to have maybe a certain amount of academy players under 18 or kind of like what the uh, Liga MX did uh, with, I think it was like a, like a 23 rule. Like they yeah, yeah. Uh, require to play some minutes. Um, you know, I've gone back and forth on this a lot over the last few months. And I know it's something that the league has talked about, at least at a preliminary level in the past. Um you know, on the one hand, you know, it forces coaches to kind of give those guys a chance, right? Which is good because some teams, they don't really do that. Um, on the other hand, I think it's a little bit of a disincentive almost, right? Because if, if an academy kid is guaranteed a spot, right, is he going to work as hard as he needs to in training, mm -hmm. knowing that he's going to be in the 18, knowing that he's going to get minutes? Is it going to create a situation where you start a 20-year-old who may not be good enough and he gets pulled after 10 minutes in a game? And then you're just kind of burning a sub um, just because of a, of an arbitrary rule. Um, so I think there's, there's arguments for, I think there's arguments against, I think it's a really tricky issue. Um, personally, the way I think the league is starting to go where you're having teams like Philadelphia, you're having teams like New York, you're having teams like Salt Lake. Um, potentially you're going to start to have teams like Dallas um, really play their young guys um, and then you have kind of the other end of the spectrum where you have teams like Toronto and New York City FC and Atlanta um, who are spending a ton of money to bring in big name stars or even not big name stars, but young stars from South America. Um, I think, you know, if as long as you kind of have a diverse mix there, I think you're going to be OK. And I don't think you're going to have to mandate things. Um, I think it's one of those things where the kind of kind of the market will almost solve it itself. Um, where, you know, you'll start to see maybe young players gravitate towards the clubs where they think they'll have a better chance of playing. So if you're a youngster in New York, right, you might, you might look at Red Bulls first as opposed to looking at City. And that's because of the actions of those two clubs, right? So um, I, I don't... It, <laughs> this is a long way of saying I don't really know. Um, I could see an <laughs> argument for, I can see an argument, I could see an argument against. I think the way things are going now is positive. And I think if they continue to kind of go this way, where you have a certain set of teams that are that are good about playing young players and really committed to it, um, then you don't need to do something like that. Sandra, does it seem to you that MLS is kind of at a crossroads right now when it comes to developing domestic talent versus bringing in international talent to to boost up the league? 
do, do you feel that MLS maybe has an obligation to develop a young American and Canadian players? Um, you know, I, I don't think there's necessarily an obligation kind of on the league level and the global level. I think it's a good thing for clubs to do. I think it's good business for clubs to do that sort of thing. Um, you know, if you can develop an academy player and then sell them for 6 million bucks, like, or, or whatever, you know, or 5 million, like New York did with Matt Miazga a couple of years ago, that's good business for a team. You know, that makes sense. There's financial incentives to do that. Um, so I think, I think it's a good thing for clubs to do. I don't think they should be obligated to do it. Um, you know, I, MLS is in the business of putting a compelling product on the field, right. And attracting fans and making money. That's what these teams are, are here to do. And I think kind of the more freedom they have and how they want to go achieve that, um, I think is kind of the better. Um, I think that's how you kind of create distinct clubs, distinct cultures. Um, and I think that's a good thing for the league. And I think we're starting to see that. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying in my last answer. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Like, I think from U.S. soccer standpoint, I think from Canada's soccer standpoint, yeah, like you definitely mm-hmm. want that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if we ever do see a mandate um, in terms of, you know, a, a quota of minutes for young players or for U20s or U22s or whatever the designation may be, um, I think the driving force behind it would be from the, the national federations. Because the, the tricky part is for the national teams, right? Um, it's not for MLS. MLS doesn't have any obligation to make sure the U.S. national team or Canadian national team is good. Right. That's on the federations themselves. MLS has the obligation to put the most entertaining and best product in the seats and uh, or on, on the field rather. Um, and in the you seats, know, how they, how, yeah, in the seats. They probably want the best product in the seats too, right? They want yeah. to engage entertaining fans too. Who doesn't like that? But. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I don't think they're obligated to do it, but I do think it's good business to do it. So I think, I think it's kind of a situation where you'll start to see it, and and they'll start to do a better and better job at it as they've done over the years. Is it going as fast as we would like? No. Is is it anything in our world of soccer ever going as fast as we would like? Probably not. But um, but I think it's getting there slowly but surely. It's, it's, it's true. I mean, I think we are slowly getting. Uh, there, I mean, what we saw from the Red Bulls, I think, was really impressive, and I think it was a real, I think, big uh, statement that hey, if you invest, you'll be fine. Um, Sam, final question for you: outside of the names that we have been hearing, uh, you know, on the Twitter waves or the mainstream uh, homegrown players, who are a couple of the homegrown players that aren't mainstream that we should watch for the upcoming season or for the season that's going on? Yeah, well, um, I mean, he's he's pretty mainstream, so this isn't too off the beaten path. But one I'm watching particularly this week is uh, Danny Acosta. He's been mm-hmm. benched the first two games. They've talked about um, kind of him having some attitude issues. So, you know, it's an important part of the season for him. DeMar Phillips had a bad game against LAFC. He wasn't the only one on the uh, RSL defense to have a bad game. So if Acosta doesn't play again this weekend, then, you know, that's going to be a serious eyebrow raiser. Um, in terms of other guys, I would love to see Jonathan Lewis get more of a shot um, with NYCFC. Again, not super uh, under the radar there. Um, and then, you know, other guys, Anthony Fontana, Austin Trusty. I think Austin Trusty is really one to watch because he's going to get a ton of minutes this year. And, you know, he's not as talked about as, as a guy like Andrew Carlton or right. um, even a Chris Goslin in Atlanta. Um, but uh, definitely one to watch because he's – I mean, he'll probably play the most – 
um, of any of those young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's one to watch. And, and then one down in Dallas, too. Um, obviously, Reggie Cannon we talked about earlier. But um, I'm intrigued to see what Paxton Pomacall can do this year. Absolutely. Um, I know they like I know they like him. Um, obviously, he got he had he had a pretty serious injury last year, so we'll see how he's able to come back from that. But uh, Dallas could certainly use um, another player who can kind of connect things in the middle of the attack. So we'll see if he can kind of grow into that role behind Mauro Diaz. But um, that's one I'll I'll have my eye on for sure. Well, Sam, we can't thank you enough for the time uh, this evening. Um, where can we find your work? Where can we find you on Twitter and anything else you may want to plug? Uh, yeah. So most of my work is on, uh, MLSsoccer.com. Um, I'm sure everyone knows how to find that. And then I'm on Twitter at Sam Stayskull. That's, uh, S T E J S K A L for those of you that, uh, don't know how to spell that. And I don't know why you would, so, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks for having me on guys. All right. Thank you, Sam. Welcome back, listeners, to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Great interviews there with Matt Doyle and Sam Stayskall. Again, we cannot thank them enough for their time uh, on today's show. Uh, Armand, uh, give give me your thoughts on the, the academies here in, in MLS. Uh, most notably, do you think MLS is at a crossroads right now with player development versus bringing in international talent to kind of bolster the league? Absolutely. I mean, I really do think that there is a crossroads source, and you're seeing it almost in Atlanta. You're seeing it transpire in front of our eyes. They're bringing in plenty of quality talent, but they also have a pretty good, I guess, quote-unquote academy because, I mean, it's not really their academy. It's players they brought in, but it's still technically their academy, and you're seeing they're kind of like, should I play Carlton? Should I not? Should I play someone else? You see that in Dallas, too, where the once the academy that everyone was talking about for years – now it's kind of like stagnated and slowed down. I do think their MLS is at a crossroads. I don't know what they can do about it, though. I think it's the natural progression of a league. I think the league is trying to be is trying to grow too fast, is that maybe the right word, or at a weird growth rate to where they're now at this real like issue. But I mean, this issue exists in almost in most leagues. I would say. I don't know how MLS can combat it though, because it's not MLS's obligation, in my eyes, like Sam said, to produce teams that are good for the men's national team, Canadian, whatever. It should be their job to produce the best players that produce the best entertainment on the field. So I think that's the crossword is that, Jake. I'm not sure what they can do to really do it uh, to do anything except for potentially a mandate that requires maybe like a certain amount of minutes played by homegrowns. But then again, you, you go back and forth and Sam brought up a good point of do you kind of, you know, disincentivize the, the homegrowns to work harder? It's, it's a really tough predicament they're in, but I think we're just going to end up seeing teams that really just emphasize on youth and teams that really spend. And then I think that's what you see, especially in like a, the league, like a Premier League. And it's it's going to be interesting to see, man. I mean, I don't know. What, what do you think? Uh, I, I, I mean, I guess the the only problem I have with kind of going back you know, to the beginning of your answer there uh, or your thought was you know, talking about it's not MLS's job to produce talent for U.S. soccer. I guess the only part of that where I take issue with is 
with how close MLS and U.S. soccer operate, it you know I, I think we would both agree they kind of work hand in hand, maybe a little too closely. Uh, you know, especially I, I think some of these you know U.S. soccer conspiracy theorists might even say that MLS is really the hand that is controlling U.S. soccer. I, I think that with how closely they work. To, together, I, I think that MLS does have some some sort of obligation to churn out, especially young American players. I don't know how closely MLS works with the Canadian Federation, but you know, based on how closely they work with the U- U.S. Soccer, I, I think that they do have some sort of obligation. And I do think that you mentioned uh, in in the Sam Stake uh, Stake interview about Liga MX having that U twenty three rule. I, I do think that would that would benefit uh, U.S. Soccer, and I think that would benefit MLS too. I, the, the part of the problem I have with not playing young domestic players is there's no pro rel. So what does it hurt? What does it hurt to, to play the some of these young players? See what you have. You're not going to get relegated. Um, you know why? Why not? Why not give some of these kids a chance and and, and just see what you have? That that's a <coughs> excuse me a really fair <coughs> sorry. <laughs> it's a really fair point. Don't die uh, me. when you. T- yeah, I'm 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 not dying. I'm not dying. Um, it's a really fair point when you bring up that U23 because I mean I do agree that it it can bring a lot of positives, especially you know kind of pushing a kid into the exposure, making sure the academies are on point, that they're focused on you know producing a player because they need to produce at least one MLS caliber player, right? They can't really be messing around and like. Oh well, uh, they're they're kind of good. Blah 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 blah. No, you need to produce one MLS caliber player that's gonna be a part of your mm-hmm. eighteen. It's a really important thing. So I mean, I it can help, but I do see the other side of it where it might disincentivize. I do think in the future though we will see a rule like this implemented. I don't. I I, I think there'll be at some point where the influx the the uh, influx of TAM uh, will kind of hinder the uh, the domestic American players' development and. Basically, all you all you need to do is, um, I mean, it'll hinder it a little bit, but in the end, the the new rule I think will balance it out. If that makes any sense. Yeah, and one thing to add to you know, kind of forcing teams to have homegrown talent in in their eighteen man you know squads is with that added pressure of making sure you're at least having one homegrown player on your roster for the senior club. Think of think of the ramifications of that. So now you have pressure to, to churn talent out, right? So you're going to need better coaching. And now that you're producing uh, homegrown talent, now you can expose them to uh, the, the top flight league. And you know maybe maybe that 18 year old kid excels in MLS. And all of a sudden now, hey, here comes right, Europe, right. here comes Europe mm-hmm. knocking, or here comes Mexico knocking. They, they want to buy this kid, you know, for a it kind of accelerates bucks. the process. Yeah, almost. and I, I think that. There needs to be a way to kind of force that onto clubs, and like Sam said, though it's like, what, what happens? You know, it, how do you enforce it? Though is a, is a coach just subbing the guy on in the final ten minutes, and he's just burning a sub, and he's just trying to follow a rule? Is is that what it comes down to? I I don't know, but I think that forcing young homegrown talent like that just to just one kid, just forcing him to be played, exposing him to. Uh, the top flight league, maybe getting the chance to sell him on. I think it just helps 
build the league up more um, and, and shows shows the ki- kids that you can use MLS to get to where you want to be, whether that's in Europe or you know wherever. And I think it also helps even bringing in kids from South America too uh, to, to say, we can, we can bring you in, we can make you better, we can get you to where you want to be, whether that's Italy, Germany, England, whatever. We, we can get you there. My – just a really random thought when you're uh, talking about that. What do you think – what role do you think the draft has? Do you think it hurts the academy uh, process because – or does it or does it help? Because there are some drafted players that make a really big impact and they kind of take away minutes from the, the academy. Now, it's a, it's, a really in, it's a really interesting thing because I'm, I'm a proponent that the draft – there has to be some sort of change within college soccer because it's just not working. But the draft, I mean, look, you see a kid like Ja'Cory Hayes uh, in FC Dallas uh, getting valuable playing time and excelling in a role. But it just, to me, it almost seems like it's kind of hurting the academy. That's a very interesting point you bring up, and I kind of wish we would have thought of that at the time we were interviewing Sam. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, 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 I agree with you on that. The, the if, In theory – the kid you're drafting in the first round, you know, with a top ten pick, let's just say, is it's almost pro- like an academy player, right? And, and he's probably going to be better than the seventeen, eighteen year old kid in your academy system. So, yeah, I think that the draft does hurt the chance of an academy player uh, seeing the field for for his MLS club. And I think that you know that that's that's a very very interesting layer to all this too. Um, just because, yeah, there nine times out of ten, that player coming out of college is going to be better than some kid in, in, in an academy system. I agree. That's something that's kind of been bothering me a little bit. I mean, the draft is a great tool. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a great tool to identify. It's always a great thing to have young players that are that you miss somewhere else and have a second chance at them. I think that's a really great part of it, but. It's almost like you're, you're. It's almost like a homegrown signing in itself. When you, when you pick a guy in the draft, it, it, you're not required to keep the guy, obviously. But look, if you're not going to play a first round pick that you like that you paid maybe fifty thousand dollars worth of gam for, then why the hell would you do that? Like it, it, it to me, like especially if you look at like a, a certain uh, some clubs, you're like okay. Like, okay, for example, here's a perfect example. I just came to my mind. Montreal. Montreal didn't draft anyone. You want to know why? They trade their picks because they believe the people in their academy are better than anyone that they would draft. That's a kind of conflict that I don't think people are really talking about that it could lead to a potential of something happening to a draft or something happening to the academy system. I think it's a it – is, it, right now it's not an issue, but I think it could turn into a big issue if college soccer especially gets better. Yeah, and yeah, something needs to be done with college soccer or the draft, like you said. And whether that's, you know, I don't know if you cut up regions in the in the country and say you're entitled to these players in this region that are at these schools, and the, or I shouldn't say the team's entitled to it, but uh, a player can sign with these club with these clubs in this region. Um, I mean, I don't know, but I definitely agree that the the draft. The draft takes away from the academy players, and I, I find that very interesting too. That Montreal would 
would, would would think that your own academy talent is better than anybody coming out of the draft right now. Um, with with that being said, though, too, and, and and Matt hit on this as well. Tam also is having a, a pretty big uh, effect on these players getting playing time. No, I agree. Tam plays a key role, but I think you expect those players to come in. You're expecting those players to take whip uh, to expect playing time. That's why that's the whole point of it. It's gonna make it harder for them, yeah, sure. But they're always at the quality. These guys are really close in quality to that. Okay, for example, when you get a Tam player, you're not gonna play an academy player over a Tam player unless the Tam player just is playing awful, right? But when you have that draft in that academy, you you basically you're, you have two players almost similar that might give a leg up to the guy that was just drafted. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But that does take away from from the academy. And maybe instead of academy products, we should look at maybe players, domestic players under the age of a certain number. And to to keep those draft players within within that. Because, I mean, it's tough, man. It's tough because um, some key uh, contributors on on teams are are, are draftees. I mean, what, Jeff Cameron was drafted in the third round of MLS uh, draft. Fun fact that – uh, I, I learned while doing research on the draft, and it's something I want to dive more deep into in a future episode because I find that a really interesting dynamic between MLS draft and academy. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, if the academy is overwhelmingly better, you're going to have teams like Montreal who just skip. Then what's the point of the draft? Sure. The draft will go away. Not to mention, and that's, and that's, I mean... I, I might sound stupid here, but I had to imagine that signing a kid out of your academy is probably cheaper than signing a kid out of college, for, uh, you know, coming out of the draft. Yeah, probably. And it's just, you look at that, I think the MLS is almost entering crossroads with the draft and the academy. The draft is almost becoming obsolete with how good the academy players are becoming. And if Montreal is to set an example, who said FC Dallas would be like, yeah, we don't want to pick anybody. Um, because we'll just take the gamma in town because our academy is better. What happens to the draft? Draft is done. But if you strengthen college soccer, all of a sudden some academy kids are getting played. This is just such a, a dynamic you can't find in any other league because there's no draft in any other league. Yeah. There's no draft. No. So, I mean, it's, I agree. it'll set up for something really I- I- interesting, I think, in the future, especially with the future of the draft. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, at some point, I think the draft will go away. Um, it just It just has to. You can't tell teams to have academies and then also pick random players out out of a, out of the college system either it just i i don't know it it, it just seems weird don't you think that you, teams are developing their own players and then they're relying on the college system to also then develop players and it i i don't know i i don't know twitter you tell us what you think about this um let us know what you think about the academy players if they're they're being developed properly or if MLS isn't utilizing their academies um, to the, to the, to the, the fullest extent uh, at Unc Sam soccer pod, um, you know, let us know, give us a, give us a shout. Uh, I think, I think now's a good place to wrap up the show, Armand. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it was a great show. Great discussion, Jake. And uh, next week, I think Steven should be on. But um, <laughs> we make no promises. Uh, uh, we might we we, make no promises. We might take over. I mean, hey, we, we might take over with a with a brand new podcast. Uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, uh, Uncle Sam with Jake and Armand. Mm. 
has a nice ring to it, but now nah, people are probably back next week. We can call it Uncle Sam After Dark. <laughs> uh, Uncle Sam After Dark. There you go. It's pretty dark outside right now. <laughs> but listeners, remember, follow us at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Follow me at Armand Kafai. Follow Jake at whatever his Twitter handle Jake is. Wittroba. Follow Steven at Jake Wittroba. Follow Steven at Steven Jodderin. And yeah, it was a great episode, and we hope to uh, have you back listening next week. Yeah, and before we go, again, don't forget to check out awaydaysfootball.com. Use the promo code Uncle Sam to receive 15% off your purchase. We'll talk to you guys next week. It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. Our powered by true car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill, plus take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed, and together, we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The available AKG 36-speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.